Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome, welcome to Door Creek Church. Uh, for those of you that are guests with us this morning, uh, so good to have you here. Thank you for, for checking us out. Thank you for being with us. Uh, my name is Mark, one of the pastors here on staff. I have the pleasure, the honor of, of getting to, to teach this morning, to, to bring God's words. We open up the scriptures together. We've been in a series called Roblox, uh, where we've just been exploring the things that get us stuck in life. And so if you're catching up to this series, uh, we actually started in January, took a break, picked it up after Easter. You can go online and uh, just listen to some of the messages you might have missed in some of the great areas that we've explored together. But uh, today we're going to continue in Roblox, and I want to start our time this morning by talking about this lady right here. Uh, This lady, her name is Deborah Lipstick. And uh, Deborah is a historian. Uh, Deborah is an academic. Uh, she's an author. And uh, about the mid 90s, she was kind of between uh, what was she just finished up and some things that were next. She had some time on her hands. And so as she tells the story, someone came up to her and she said, "Hey, you'll never guess what I just heard." And she and they they tell Deborah what they just heard, and she literally laughs out loud, like, "You've got to be kidding me." And they said, no, you got to explore this. This has got to be your next like, book. This has got to be your next project. And so she says, okay, I'll explore it. I'll look into it. So she did. Sure, sure enough, it was real. She couldn't believe it. So she wrote a book about it. And after the book was published, she got sued. <laughs> she got sued because she wrote about a gentleman, or at least it was part of her book, named David Irving. Uh, David Irving in the late 80s started to make a name for himself by picking up the rhetoric and writing some works, leading this small movement, denying the Holocaust existed. Yeah, you know why Deborah laughed out loud. Wait a second, there's someone who thinks the most well-documented genocide in all of history didn't happen? Misconstruing facts and all this other kind of stuff? Well, sure enough, David sues Deborah because... Her book, Denying the Holocaust, which by the way, turned into a movie. I I haven't watched the movie, but Denying the Holocaust hurt his reputation. Go figure. (laughs) And uh, thankfully, uh, humanity prevailed and the courts of England, which is where the lawsuit took place, uh, found him guilty of racism, anti-Semitism, and his life just got a whole lot worse. But this brings us to our subject this morning. This brings it to our subject of denial. Refusing to believe something that is true. Refusing to believe that, uh, you know, something that we know happened even happened. Lying to ourselves. Lots of different ways to understand denial. Maybe some of you have seen this uh, simple acronym for denial. I don't even know I am lying. Denial. Denial kind of, it permeates all of, of history even. And uh, go back a couple hundred years. Uh, George Eliot, the author in the circa 19th century, said this about denial. She says, uh, what destroys us most effectively is not a malign fate, but our own capacity for self-deception and for degrading our own best self. Around the same time, Kierkegaard, whose influence is still felt today, said this. He says, there are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true. The other is to refuse to believe what is true. 
200 years isn't enough. Let's go back to the second century, over a millennia ago. Marcus Aurelius, one of the great Roman emperors, said this. He said, if someone is able to show me that uh, what I think or do is not right, I will happily change, for I seek the truth, uh, by which no one was ever truly harmed. And this right here, it is the person who continues in his self-deception and ignorance who is harmed. We go back even further, several hundred more years. The psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 29 says this. It says, keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious, teach me your law. The psalmist even recognizes that deception is something that's just in our hearts. And it's in our hearts because it was at the very beginning of creation itself. Uh, go back to Genesis with me in your mind. Uh, the story where Adam and Eve, they disobey God. They sin. Uh, out of their pride, they eat the fruit of the tree. God comes to Adam. And what does Adam tell God himself? He tries to deceive God. I mean, part of me goes, Adam, don't you remember? Like it wasn't long ago, God literally made you from dust. And then he said, hey, Adam, go take a nap. And when you woke up, your, your stomach hurt a little bit, and there was Eve. Like, that just happened, and you're trying to deceive God. But Adam, right at the very beginning, was caught in his own denial. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. It wasn't my fault. Denial is a heart issue. Tim Keller, a prominent pastor and theologian of today, says this, the human heart runs on denial the same way my car runs on gas, or if you have a hybrid, electric too. But it's a heart issue, all right? What we're talking about is ingrained in who we are, all the way from when we're children. And children can be deceitful sometimes. Let's look at this guy. So this is my littlest one, and I tried to find the picture that made him look the most deceiving. Uh, his name's Theodore, we call him Theo, three years old, and he, he started doing this thing a while ago uh, where we said, oh, Theo, you're funny. And he said, I am not funny. And we said, yeah, you're funny. And he would say, I'm not funny. I just feel. And it's cute, right? Yeah, aw, that's right. Yeah, it's kids. It's kids. It's the beauty of kids is we all have these experiences with our grandkids, our own kids, others' kids, whatever it is. And so we just started playing with it. Now we, just, now we just have fun with it. Theo, are you a dinosaur? You know, I'm not a dinosaur. I just feel. And what's beautiful about this innocence is the fact that it just reveals that denial is something we don't have to try to do. And what my job as a parent, as he grows up, as he grows to understand who he really is in Christ, what we need to understand is that denial is something that as we grow up, it never really leaves us. It just gets buried deeper into our hearts, deeper into our subconscious, and it reveals itself in a lot of different ways. And there's some low-hanging fruit here, so let me just kind of set the table, if, you, if I will. So self-deception is kind of this big, overarching kind of subject. So there's the self-deception that says, how many cups of coffee did you drink? I drank one cup of coffee, but was it 24 ounces in one cup? You know, that kind of self-deception, right? What we're talking about here with denial is the kind of self-deception where we're trying to protect ourselves from pain in our life pain from something that either that we did or pain from something that someone did to us. Something that we asked for or something that we did not ask for or both and. 
So we talked about David Irving and just this audacity that someone wouldn't believe that the Holocaust existed. I want to talk about a different David this morning, King David. For those of you, uh, just to bring us up to speed, King David, uh, king in the Old Testament. We found him in the Old Testament of our scriptures, a second king of Israel. David was God's guy, right? What we read about David, we know he was God's guy. He was what he was really good with God. God was really good with him. He loved each other. They had a great relationship. And we have some tremendous stories from the life of David. David killed the lion. David killed the bear. David killed Goliath. Right? David uh, had a lot of wonderful victories in battle. David fled Saul. Some crazy experiences came. We read that in the scriptures as well. David was like the hero. And so when he became king, people were like, I want to be like David. Right? In the late 90s, or in the 90s rather, some of you uh, like me, I want to be like Mike. Remember that? Well, back in this time, it was, I want to be like David. I want to be like David. And it was a custom. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have email. They didn't have all these other things to keep them up to date. So they relied on word of mouth reports. So it was a day where David was sitting there and one of God's prophets, Nathan, came in to David's court. and says, David, I got to tell you a story. Something happened. We need you to, to be king. We need you to do what you do. And David says, all right, tell me this story. I'm going to par- paraphrase the story and then we'll pick it up in the text. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Nathan comes to David and he says, all right, David, here's the deal. There's this poor man over here. And uh, uh, this poor man has a lamb and uh, it's not just a lamb. You see, it was like all he could do just to get this one lamb. And as the lamb grew up, the lamb just became like one of his own kids. So for you dog lovers out there, this is how you're resonating with the story, okay? It's like one of his own children. This lamb is as precious to him. And then, David, there's this other guy in the story, and it's a rich man, and he doesn't just have flock, he has flocks. I mean, this guy's got more cattle and sheep and herds to choose from than than anyone. And one day, one of the rich man's friends, a traveler, comes into town, and and the rich man says, I want to just prepare a feast for you. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's let's have lamb chops. Let's Let's do this. Let's do this right. But David, he didn't take one of his own lambs He took the lamb from the poor man, the only lamb he had, crucified it, and used it for the supper. If you're hearing this story, you're probably a lot like David. You're just, that ticks you off. That's injustice. Wait a second, this guy who had everything took the one thing from the person who only had one thing? No way. And we pick up the story right here in 2 Samuel 12, verses 5 and 6. This is after... Nathan tells him the story. David says, it says, David burned with anger. Another translation says that David's anger kindled against the man. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, this is, he's the king. So this is his judgment. He says, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. He looks at Nathan and says, "Uh uh-uh, not in my kingdom. This guy's gonna pay. Not only is he gonna repay this guy what he took, he is gonna pay with his life because nothing can replace that lamb and what it meant to that man. That is an injustice that will not go unpunished. And we resonate with that. It's justice. And then Nathan rocks David's world. He tells him four words that will change the course of David's life. 
So we read at the beginning of verse seven, Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man. You see, that story that Nathan told was the story of what David had did, except it wasn't with a lamb. It was David and Bathsheba, this story some of you may be familiar with, where David saw this woman bathing and it happened to be the wife of one of his chief officers. He chose to have an affair with her and when she got pregnant, he tried to cover up his sin. When that didn't work, he found a way to have her husband killed. Then he took her for his own wife. And right in those four words, right then and there, Nathan woke David up to the denial that he had been living in. David, you're living in this throne room. You're this king. You are the hero. Everyone wants to be like David, but you've done this egregious thing, and you're in complete denial that it's wrong. And some of us have had these Nathan moments in our life, whether it's through a person or whether it's just through God's spirit working in us. But where does God just need to wake you up this morning? Where, where in your life are you just kind of blind to, to, to what's been going on? Because the thing with denial is denial, it's not when will I be in denial. It's, what, it's when will I be aware of what I'm currently in denial of. Say, Mark, what are you talking about? Well, there's things that, that we struggle with in life. Sometimes it, it's uh, we were just born uh, with a certain kind of sin or prone to do something we're all human with a sinful nature. There are things that we struggle with in life. Sometimes we make decisions that we don't know how to deal with the effects of, or someone's made a decision that has greatly affected us. Let's dive into this a little bit. What does this mean? Well, I was talking with a, a buddy of mine, and he said this. He's, I was talking about this, and he said, Mark, I will, I've realized, he told me, he said, I will always struggle with lust. And he said, the only way that I can uh, uh, live a life that is pure is if I'm aware that I'm struggling with lust. That is just a natural tendency within me. So this morning, is that you? Men and women, by the way. This isn't just a guy thing. And you don't need to be addicted to anything to struggle with lust. But is that one of these sins or one of these circumstances that's orbiting your world that you just refuse to acknowledge? No, 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 that's not me. That's not me. I don't deal with that. Nope, nope, that is not me. What about anger? Do people avoid telling you that you're an angry person? <laughs> Enough said. Okay. Not me. Now, I don't deal with anger. I only fly off the handle like twice a day. That's not that much. What about uh, depression or anxiety? Where it's like you, you, one of the things you struggle with is constantly putting your trust in who God is and what he's done for you and your identity in him. And then there's a whole parallel conversation to that, which is some of us in this room aren't even starting from the same starting point. You see, when there's a physical dysfunction uh, in our body, someone's walking with a crutch, someone has a cast on their arm, uh, your, your heart just goes out to them, oh, I'm so sorry, what happened? And, and, and so it's just, it's different because you can see it, but when there's a physical dysfunction in our mind, we can't see it all the time and it comes out in different ways. By the way, it's May, May is Mental Health Awareness Month and maybe for you, mental illness is something that you've just been in denial of. 
You've been trying to fix the symptoms for so long and nothing is working. Or maybe it's someone else who's been trying to fix the symptoms up for so long. For me, one of the greatest areas of overcoming denial in my life is realizing that someone close to me was struggling with their mental health. But I refused to believe that they would actually be struggling with that, that they were starting from behind the starting line. So maybe some of you, you just need to get the help you need to get to the starting line. And that's okay. God wants that for you. The same way if you had a broken leg, fix your broken leg. Get some medicine for it. Go to the doctor, see someone, some counseling. What about pride? Mark talked about pride last week and uh, pride is just one of these things like we could do a whole series on pride but we would all be the most depressed people in the world because pride is like the most like penetrating thing in all of our lives. It's at the root of most if not every single sin and it's often maybe the easiest area we can catch ourselves in denial. No, I'm not proud here. I'm not, why are you doing, oh, I'm not proud. That's, pride has nothing to do with this. What about uh, the relationships in our lives? Uh, um, unfortunately, it's too common for someone to have 1,300 friends on Facebook, 500 people following them on Instagram, and they're at home because no one will go out to eat with them. How are we lying to ourselves? What devices are we using to shield ourselves from pain that we don't want to admit, that we don't want to come forward with? The parent who's done everything right, their kid's in the right school, they have the right relationships, they go to the right church, they do all the right things, check, 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 and then as the child becomes an adult, they make a decision. And as a parent, you see that decision, you say, no! Not my son, no way, that is not, no, that did not happen. The husband or wife in a marriage that's just falling apart and it's way more comfortable to live in the denial, the false comfort of denial that everything will be okay when in reality, if you just wake up, you'd realize you have the opportunity to make a difference and maybe restore the relationship. What in our lives are we lying ourselves to about? About in society, it's talked about David Irving and the Holocaust. Look, it exists, we know it exists. In our world, in justice, in equality, in our country, in our state, in our city, and God forbid, but we are human and when unfortunately it rears its ugly head, even in this church, injustice and inequality, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on politically, if you're on the left or the right or in the middle or above or below or outside, I don't care. This is not a political thing, this is a heart thing. What do we need to wake up in in our life? So David had this Nathan moment. Does God have your attention? Does God have your attention? I wanna read you a story, this is George's story. I didn't have the pleasure of knowing George. I do have the pleasure of knowing his children, some of his grandchildren. And uh, the honor of sharing uh, part of the work that God did in his life, I'd encourage you just to to listen along. Uh, Son starts out this way. Part of my dad's story is that he was an alcoholic. Just right off the bat, boom, right there. He was an alcoholic. Hard work and life on the road became a minefield that led to this deception, the self-deception that he was an alcoholic. My dad wanted to hide in his religiosity, but after hitting rock bottom, that was stripped from him. In the spring of 1982, dad went into treatment following a well-orchestrated family 
intervention. These are some of my dad's words. So this is George talking now. George said this. They stripped me of everything, even my Bible. They ground me to fine powder. They worked on me hard to make me accept the fact that I was powerless over alcohol. For more than two weeks, I fought the idea that I was unable to help myself. Look, you are dishonest, members of the group kept saying. Why don't you admit the truth to yourself? I finally came to the total end of myself and admitted that I couldn't help myself. And when you're self-sufficient for most of your life, that's hard to do. One night while I was in the treatment center, I tossed and turned in bed, deeply troubled. At last I fell asleep, only to wake up at two in the morning with my pillow drenched in tears. Suddenly I had a vision that terrified me. I was in a red fiery pit. And I knew that I was in great danger, but on the other side was Jesus reaching down toward me. He picked me up and he said, you've gone deep enough now, George. We're going to start walking back together. A vision disappeared. I must have been white as a sheet. I fell out of bed and groped for my clothes, tried to get dressed. All I could get on were my pants and I stumbled into the nurse's station. Pause. Imagine being that nurse. (laughs) Right there. I'm going to make it, I exclaimed. I'm being rescued. Looking at me closely, the nurse said, I see you are rescued. When I had seen hell, I realized that was where I was headed in spite of all my religiosity. I had realized that my own works couldn't possibly save me. Only Jesus could. I had always known he had died on the cross for sinners. In that moment of revelation, I knew that he had died there for me, for my sin. Now I knew him as I had never known him before, as my personal savior. I finally knew perfect peace. I called my wife, honey, with Jesus' help, I've made it, I cried. I'm coming home. And after 30 wonderful years, 30 more years of complete sobriety, Christ called George home. And we celebrate stories like this. Some of you resonate with this story. Maybe it's a story near and dear to your own life because it's not just a story of someone who overcame alcohol. It's a story of someone who realized that they cannot move past this roadblock of denial in their life behind this hurt, this habit, this hang-up, whatever it is, this event in their life. They cannot move past it without the help of Jesus. And maybe you're sitting there saying, that sounds really churchy. Well, we're in church so good but that's the key to all of this the key is that it's a hard issue and that we need to surrender our hearts to Christ realizing we can't do this on our own this is what George realized this is the legacy of his part of the legacy of his story it's what the psalmist was saying in Psalm 119 29 when he says keep me from deceitful ways be gracious and teach me your law On the other side of our denial is a God who extends us his grace. Let's pick the story back up with David. 
We don't want to leave him where he's at. Nathan has just rocked his world. And so over the next few verses, you can see we're picking up here at verse 13, between 7 and 13, David, uh, Nathan is just railing down on David like this is bad news. <laughs> What's going on? Nathan is just saying, because you've done this, and he's railing down on David, and David's response is this. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. Wait, what do you mean die? Well, remember, David, David announced his own verdict. This man deserves to die. And thankfully, we know that this even is a foreshadow to what Christ has done for us, that we don't have to die for our sins. Christ has already done that. But Nathan is saying, look, God forgives you. God forgives you. His grace is there for you. Psalm 51 is a psalm that we have that shows us David's lament is more than just these few words, I have sinned against the Lord. It's a wonderful psalm of lament. If you need to lament in your life, turn to Psalm 51 to start with. It's a great psalm to, to pray through, to weep through. And just the beginning of Psalm 51 says this, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. David gets this. This is a heart issue. And when it's a heart issue, it's a spiritual issue because it's a relationship with God. No matter what we've done to anyone else or what anyone else has done to us, our relationship with God is always and must always be first and foremost. David laments and he spends the next several verses continuing to lament because while God forgave him, he allowed him to live with the consequences of his sin, like he allows us to live with the consequences of our sin. And what, what the next few verses say that we're going to skip over right now is essentially that this baby will not live, David, because of your sin. You're going to lose this child. When David is lamenting his sin during this whole time, and after the child passes, we pick David back up in verse 20. Now, let's pay attention right here. This is then David got up from the ground. He didn't get up from his chair. He didn't get up from his bed. He got up from the ground. After he'd washed, put on some lotions, I think he stank a little bit, changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. Where did he go? The house of the Lord and he worshiped. Now, back in David's time, God's presence was physically manifested in the temple. This is before Jesus Christ came and he died for us. And so for David to go to God, unless God uh, specifically manifested his presence in front of someone, which he did on occasion, you had to go to the temple, to the house of the Lord and worship. What's beautiful about this verse, realizing it now, is that when we have a saving faith in Christ, all you gotta do is right where you're at, you can find Christ in your heart and you can pray to him. But David is showing us whenever we walk through this denial after confessing and just accepting God's grace, we, we need to go straight to God. Straight to God, straight into his loving arms, straight into his mercies. Psalm 51 uh, <clears throat> tells us too what he was telling God, what he was asking of God when he went into worship. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take me from your, your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Notice these words, create, renew, restore. This is the God that David knew. This is the God that we have access to. On the other side of our denial is not just a God of grace. On the other side of our denial is a God who restores. On the other side of our denial is a God who can create in us a new heart, who can sustain us, who can renew our spirit. Let's go back to 2 Samuel 12, verse 20. The very last part of that, it says, and then he, at his request, he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. So before he took care of any of his own physical needs, he took care of his heart, and he got his heart right. Not about you, but on my way to church, I probably would have grabbed a cheeseburger (laughs) or something. But David had his priorities straight, and he said, no, before I do anything else, I want to make sure I get my heart and my soul right before you, God. And then I will enter back into my normal rhythm of life. I'll eat. I'll get dressed again. These kinds of things. So on the other side of our denial is a God who gives us grace. On the other side of our denial is a God who wants to restore us. Looking through David's life, we see this pattern of waking up, turning to God, and then ultimately we need to lean on others. And that is what we need to do. Let me talk about Nathan for uh, just a minute. Chances are, if you're, if you're like human in this room, chances are, as I've been talking, you already have the list tallied up of the people you would love to be Nathan to. You'd love to walk into their life and let them know, hey, buddy, these are, this is something you've been in denial of and you need to stop. And the problem is I can't completely dismiss that because that is the example given in scripture and in George's own life, he had to have a family intervention. And so there are specific times with specific people with specific, in specific places for specific reasons in which it is good to be the Nathan in someone else's life. However, before you ever do something like that, I would just beg of you, uh, a phone call and an email give you access to a ton of just wisdom and insight to do that well, but that's not why we're here this morning. We're here this morning to hold the Bible up to ourselves and use it as a mirror to look into our own hearts and say, where am I in denial? Not when will I be in denial, where am I in denial right now? What in my life is keeping me from experiencing the life that God wants for me? Where in my life is there something that's holding me back from experiencing God's true beauty of his grace and of his love and of his forgiveness? Where am I avoiding the pain? Because it's unpleasant. The first thing we have to do is stop and listen. Denial is not unlike any other sin in that it often lives in the busyness of our life. It lives in the the constant motion of our calendar, of our agenda. And just a small soapbox of mine is just the word busy. (laughs) Because the reality is we all have the same time in a day. So let's stop saying we're busy and let's start moving towards intentional. Are you intentional with your time? Are you intentional in how you're using your time with your relationships, with your relationship with God, your relationship with others, your work? Are you intentional? 
Because if you're intentional with your time, one of the things that you will learn to do, if you don't do it already, is you'll learn to take time, to build time into your day, into your week, to stop and listen. You say, Mark, what am I listening to? What's around me? No, what you're listening to is God's word. Paul Tripp, a wonderful Christian author, says this, "We we only know ourselves when we listen to the words that God has spoken about us. And God's given us this wonderful gift, and it's the Bible. And it's just full of stories and the words of Christ and more stories and lots of ways that we can use it as a mirror into our own hearts and our own lives, but not just as a mirror. We can use it as a lens to better understand who God is and who he wants us to understand who we are in him. It's a wonderful resource, and oftentimes it sits on our nightstand or it's an app on our phone that we kind of forget to use sometimes. And I love the app on my phone because it's really convenient because I always have my phone with me. Maybe you use the Bible app. We, we recommend the Bible app. You can go to the Welcome Center if you're wondering which one we're talking about. But there's a guy, I believe his name is Max McLean, and uh, he's actually read the entire Bible. It's recorded. It's got some like music behind it. It's like really pleasant to listen to. Mowing the lawn, walking down the street, working out, maybe on the drive to work. One way to stop and listen is just to hit play. And just let God's word just soak into your life. Stop and listen. Ask. Pray a psalm. Psalm 139 says, search me, O God. You know my heart. Find if there's any offensive way in me. That's a great psalm. Psalm 119, the one that I mentioned here this morning, where it says, keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious and teach me your law. That's a great psalm. There's a lot of great psalms, and, and that's just one book of the Bible, but we need to stop and we need to listen and we need to ask the question, God, where are you trying to tap me on the shoulder trying to say, hey, wake up? Because I don't know about you, but I don't want a Nathan experience in my life. I'd rather take the time to stop and listen and through God's help, figure it out on my own. But here's the deal. Some of us were sitting in here and you're like, well, actually, Mark, I already know where I'm in denial. I'm already awake to this thing that's orbiting my life, but I just refuse. I still refuse to acknowledge it. I already know what it is. And stop and listening and waking up, it's not enough. It's not enough just to know what it is. You have to move forward. You have to move forward through denial. And so we look at David's life, and George echoed this in his own testimony. First thing we have to do, because it's a hard issue, we have to turn to God. We have to turn to God. We have to, if there's something to confess, we have to confess. If there's something to lament, we have to lament. Whatever it is in our heart, whatever the situation is that we're just in denial of, we have to turn to God. He's our loving Father. He wants that from us. That's why he's here. That's why he created us, to have a relationship. And what's a relationship if it's not real, if we can't go to him? We need to turn to God, understand that it is through his power. I love that, uh, that line in George's story where he says, I am powerless to help myself. And everyone that I've talked to, and even in my own life, in the times where I've had to overcome some significant obstacles, it's always, that line's always been a part of it. Powerless to help myself. I need Christ's power in me. Our God is a God of grace. Our God is a God of restoration. We need to understand that so we can go to him. Yes, he may have us live through the consequences of our sin, but I'd rather live through the consequences of my sin with God in my heart than without God in my heart. 
And God speaks to us in many ways in our life and he speaks to us in scripture. But when we walk with God through pain and suffering, God shouts and God shouts his loving kindness, his grace, his mercy. He shouts that for us. And we grow to be more devoted followers of Christ through those moments because of him. We need to stop and listen. We need to turn to God. Last thing, we need to lean on others. For George and his story, it was he was surrounded by a loving family who wanted the best for him. He was surrounded by a wonderful nurse that one night. He came stumbling out of his room. As a church, this is happening. I know that it's happening, but what if we just took it to the next level in our families, in our life groups, in our ministries, whatever context we're in, what if we just took it to the next level where we were known as a place where people could just come with their hurt, habit, hang up, not feel judged and just be known because Christ knows them and Christ knows us. It's God's job to judge, not ours. We can show and extend his grace We can extend that. We can extend his love. What if we just took that to a whole different level as a church? Our vision is to be a Christ-centered church for all people where the gospel is continually transforming lives, renewing our city, and changing the world. So how are we actively being a part of transforming lives, not just our own lives, but the lives of those around us who are trying to come to us? We can walk with them. We can help each other in this way. There's a wonderful group that meets every week called Celebrate Recovery. And I've had some great conversations with individuals in that group who have overcome hurts, habits, and hangups. And denial is always a part of their story in some way, shape, or form, just coming to grips with something that was done to them or something that they are guilty of. And they're in the the business, that group, of just restoring. And so if you have like this significant Thing of denial in your life and you're like I don't know if there's a safe place that's a wonderful safe place for us in this room celebrate recovery are we leaning on each other are we turning to God but are we stopping and, and listening at all denial is not an issue of when will we, we be in denial the issue is when are we going to be aware of what we're in denial in How are we going to move forward? Because denial is like a narcotic. It numbs us to the pain that we want to avoid. It disorients and compresses our own spiritual nervous system. But to move forward, to move forward past denial brings us into the joy and experience of a God who extends us grace, of a God who restores, of a God of great kindness and mercy. And it helps us even understand the renewing of creation itself and sharpens our eye to see the beauty of his grace. Let's pray together. God, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that we can dive into this this, uh, story in the Old Testament and just see how it reflects in our own life. And those four words that Nathan said to David, you are the man, those are the words that you're trying to speak to us. So help us to wake up wherever we need to wake up in our life and turn to you. Thank you for bringing Christ to this earth so that we can have him in our hearts. We can find his strength in our lives. Father, not 
necessarily that we'll be free from these things, but we'll be free in spite of them. And so we thank you for this. Help us to move forward this week. Help us to take time to stop and listen. And may we just grow to be more, more devoted followers of Christ in you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.